0: It goes without saying that every band's objective is to make the coolest music they possibly can. However, a band's appeal grows exponentially if they can look cool doing it too, especially in rock. As a lover of music, first and foremost, I personally never cared about a band's image too much if the music they made was exceptional. Now, if their style matched the level of the music they were making, then I was all theirs. One of those bands that followed that trajectory was New York City's Circus of Power. They were the hardest, meanest, most dangerous looking bands I had ever seen. There was no fantasy-laden imagery needed for compensation. No adolescent male boasting to make up for anything lacking. You took one look at those guys, and they were easily the most intimidating bunch of hoodlums you could find. Nowadays, tattoo sleeves are a dime a dozen. Soccer moms have sleeves and neck tattoos. But Circus of Power were walking around with full sleeves and chest tattoos back in 1988. 1988! 1988! Nobody even had a tattoo in 1988, except for maybe Henry Rollins, Harley Flanagan, and Ozzy Osbourne. Nobody. Nobody else. Decked out in denim and leather and flannel, the only thing they needed was the music to match. And, without a doubt, their three studio records they released, their self-titled debut, their sophomore Vice's album, and their last Magic and Madness stands heads above the many bands that came and went during the late 80s and early 90s. Although many contend their first album was their best, personally, I love their second album, Vices. For me, it captured something that was missing from music at the time and hinted at what could be. When music pundits jabber on about the alternative nation and the paradigm shift Nirvana's Nevermind caused, Nobody even bothers to note that there were already many scenes offering alternatives to the tired L.A. glam scene long before Nirvana released Nevermind. Out on the East Coast, Circus of Power along with bands like Early White Zombie, Cycle Sluts from Hell, Pussy Galore, Monster Magnet, and Danzig, I can only call Dark Rock, a mix of Dirty Blues, Stones, and Stooges mixed with ACDC and Slowed Down Motorhead. Bands like Circus of Power were the bridge between bands like The Cult and Alice in Chains. When I hear Circus of Power today, I can't help but think the guys in Alice in Chains had a COP record or two in their collections. At the head of the Circus of Power machine sat singer Alex Mitchell. Being a singer myself, it's the voice in the band that usually hooks me, and Alex's voice was a mix of cigarettes and velvet, a snarl and a purr, all at once. It was Ian Asbury mixed with Glenn Danzig. It was captivating and inspiring. Many times I have found myself starting a vocal melody over a guitar riff, trying to ape Alex Mitchell. I don't get very far at all. He's always been miles ahead of me. But with Circus of Power's last album being 1993's Magic and Madness, which, by the way, featured guest spots by none other than Ian Asbury and Jerry Cantrell, the band faded from the scene. There had been rumblings of reissues and one-off shows, but nothing that warranted a full return. Alex's other outfits like Fat Nancy, Uncle Max, and the very cool plastic Gator Machine kept his name out there, but nothing new from Circus of Power. Until earlier this year when I happened to stumble upon what seemed to be a Circus of Power Instagram profile that contained shots of recent shows, rehearsals, set lists, and it seemed to be an active Circus of Power band. When I did a little more searching, I found the video for a brand new song called Hard Driving Sister, and nothing had been lost. Alex's voice was still smooth and gritty as ever, and the band, made up of new rangers now, Seemed tight and together. I reached out to Joe Truck, Circus of Power guitarist, to see if I could get Alex onto the podcast in any way, shape, or form. A few months went by and I bided my time until one day, almost out of the blue, my buddy Scotty Slam emailed me to tell me he was the new drummer in Circus of Power. Scotty, who has spent his time in the LA scene in Reach Around, The Mimes, Slack Babbitt, and the the jam circuit playing with everyone notable from Billy Sheehan and Richie Faulkner to Dizzy Reed and Richard Fortas, I couldn't be happier for Scotty. Being in a legendary band like Circus of Power is exactly where Scotty deserves to be. What a pleasant, serendipitous circumstance. Now I was sure this podcast was going to happen, and it did, with Alex and Scotty. Growing up, I always looked to Toronto musicians and bands that I admired that had made it outside of our neighborhood for inspiration. I mentioned, of course, previously Sacrifice, but also Sebastian Bach and Alex Mitchell. They were three names I could pull out of my back pocket whenever I needed to muster up the nerve to make a go of this rock and roll thing. Having grown up in both Willowdale and Scarborough, it makes it even sweeter that all three are from one or the other with Sacrifice out of Scarborough, and Alex and Sebastian out of Willowdale. Makes me pretty proud, to be honest. So here is the talk with Alex Mitchell and Scotty Slam. I must say that if there was ever a rock and roll high school, there are a few cats who would sit at the head of the cool table in the cafeteria, and Alex Mitchell is definitely one of them. What a super dude. And I'm just glad I got him on the podcast. And of course, Scotty Slam, the Facebook meme master and drummer extraordinaire himself. Something we talk about at the end of the podcast that I want to make mention here is Alex has written a few books. Life is a Phantom Kmart Horse Starting Up in the Middle of the Night is one of them, as is the Strange Case of the Flying Meatballs. During our talk, I mentioned I was unable to find any on lulu.com, which is where you can find them. But I retraced my steps after this talk and did indeed find Alex's book, The Strange Case of the Flying Meatballs on lulu.com. That's L-U-L-U.com. So order a copy after you listen to this, if you feel so inclined, I know I will be. Thanks goes out to Scotty and Joe Truck for hooking this up with Alex. Thank you, Alex, for taking time to do this. I personally can't wait to hear the new Circus of Power. As always, this podcast is supported by Blue Mic microphones and Skullcandy headphones. Please leave a rating on iTunes because it helps boost the podcast's profile. It works, too, since we were featured in the What's Hot section up there a few months ago. Okay, here we go. Alex Mitchell and Scotty Slam of Circus of Power are this episode's guests on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best
1: to
0: You gotta listen to the Danco Jones Podcast La 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 You gotta listen to the Danco Jones Podcast Do it in the morning, do it in the evening Just make sure you do it today.
1: Ladies and gentlemen and girls, get ready because the Daco Jones podcast starts.
0: Hey Scotty. Hello?
1: Yeah, can you hear us?
0: I can hear you, yeah. Where
2: are you at, Danko? This is Alex.
0: Hey Alex, I'm in Toronto.
2: Fucking hey, I was I was brought up on Finch and Leslie.
0: Uh, I grew up at uh, Finch and uh, Don Mills and Finch.
2: Right. Oh, it's great up there. Well, I'm talking like, you know, I was there from. I was born in '59, so I was there through '59 through '70, and really that whole area, a lot of it was just woods and fields, you know. See, like, over by Seneca College, that was just that was just a bunch of fields.
0: I was I, I from the time I was two to eleven, I I lived on Seneca Hill Drive.
2: Oh, nice. <laughs> well, and that's when I, when I was growing up, like when I was, I guess I was going into eighth grade, and I was going to Zion. You know, Zion Heights is still there, right? I, I don't, I don't know. I, I not... But I was hanging around the Peanut or on that mall. What's that mall called? Peanut Plaza. Yeah, but if you go past there, there's a big mall right there. Fairview Mall. Yeah, Fairview Mall. That's where I first started. You know, smoking cigarettes and <laughs> buying loose joints. Young, eleven-year-old Toronto head. <laughs> I, I don't think he'd
0: recognize Fairview Mall anymore. It's it's bigger now, but mm-hmm. a, a lot of it it's just been redone over and over again. So it's pretty uh, slick inside. Oh yeah, I learned to shoplift there too. <laughs> well, maybe I'm, we should save this for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is the podcast.
2: Okay, we're on. Okay, great.
0: Well, Alan, um, I just wanted to a- I wanted to ask you because from the all the time that I was a Circus of Power fan, I guess because I found out about you guys on Much Music. And I guess the intro with how you were from Toronto. I have always thought that you uh, played in the clubs in Toronto and then moved to New York.
2: Oh God, no, no. It was I was born in Toronto, Scottish parents, you know, right off the boat, kind of, you know, dad's. Uh, my dad looked like a rockabilly singer. He had the white uh, wife beater T-shirt and the tattoos, you know, straight right. up, straight from from like Glasgow, and. Um, we moved to Florida when I was 12, and um, I mean, I really kind of was brought up in Florida. My my little wonder years were in Toronto, but the the growing up, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll all started in Florida. So there and might- there's plenty of that down there, buddy.
0: Well, there might have been there might have been a moment at Fairview Mall where you were shoplifting, and <laughs> and I was walking I was walking with my dad into Cole's Bookstore or something. Yeah, yeah. We might have passed each other. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's why I've always thought you along with Sebastian Bach, who uh is also from uh Willowdale, he yeah. he, he grew up uh around that area around Don Mills and Finch as well. So I didn't I, know that. Yeah, so he like uh he also with you, you were the two guys who I always used to think, well, those two guys made it, they're from Toronto. I can do this. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've always thought that you were from, you know, you hung out at Rock and Roll Heaven, Gasworks, and then you just you just said, screw this, <laughs> and you moved to New York and you made it. That's what I've yeah. always thought. I was going to start this whole podcast asking you that about your Toronto <laughs> roots.
2: No, you know, it's weird, like, um, where people come from, where scenes take place and all that stuff. It's kind of fascinating because, to me, most most of the great music, uh, whether it's rock or or country or soul, yeah, or jazz, right. Most every kind of music comes from America. Um, a, a ton of it, obviously, from England too. And I'm way into all the, from going back to the Stones and and all that stuff, all the way through to the Damned and Motorhead and Susie and Bannings. All that, you know, all that stuff. Um, it's just interesting where things happen and Toronto, it's not that far from Detroit. Lots of great music happened in Detroit, but not a ton of stuff comes out of Canada and it's kind of weird. I think, I'm not sure why, but you know, culture has a lot to do with all that stuff and America is sort of this big melting pot of, of, uh, shit, (laughs) some of it good, some of it bad, but it makes for, for like, I don't know, good art, I think.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> definitely going through the '80s and you guys aren't as angry as we are, uh, but we're getting there. Hopefully, <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> well, what we've been able to do as as a country is we've made many inroads in like indie rock, you mm-hmm. know, nicer sounding music, right? You, you know, which makes sense. Yeah, it kind of does. But, you know, that's what frustrates me. And that's why I do what I do because I am frustrated because I do right. love rock. And I don't hear as many yeah. bands
2: like that over here. So, but it's, but it's not here anymore either, man. You know, I uh, mean, yeah, um, yeah, a straight up rock and roll, like hard rock and roll isn't what people call metal or whatever. There's tons of that. All those bands that you, you saw on the metal show for the last few years. But really, I can't think of any of them that are kind of rock bands. They're all kind of, uh, you know, hard metal bands, no, rock and roll, like the Hoople and like, um, Slade and like early Van Halen and, you know, early Motley Crue, you know, the cult when they were in that cool phase, that stuff, I don't know where you find that anymore. I really don't
0: No, And that's also another thing is you guys being from New York city, um, there's been a lot of scenes that have come out of New York, but the time that you guys came out of, that was a scene unto itself. Like, I yeah. kind of reckon that, I kind of call it to myself, I just label it as like dark rock.
2: Like, yeah, just dirty, dirty rock, hard yeah. rock.
0: Yeah, like you I guys, mean, don't, don't early white zombie.
2: reality came out of that scene. Yeah, yeah, early white um,
0: zombie. Um, yeah, um, Raging Slab. Right. I love those guys um, as well.
2: Yeah, so Cycle um, Sluts and. I think John Spencer's band might have been playing. I know they were playing the same club that we were. Pussy Galore. Pussy Galore, I think it was back then.
0: Yeah, it was. And it just has this, if not sound, it's got this style. Right. And you guys married it into a very unique way, I thought. Whereas you know, White Zombie went that way. Uh, Spencer went his way. Cycle Sluts from Hell went their way. But you guys had this, like style and image that went along with the music that from where I was like from much watching much music, they actually led with that. The fact that you guys had so much biker themed uh imagery, the fact that you guys had sleeve tattoos before any other band on the planet. Uh, well,
2: I invented flannel too. Did they mention that? Hey, Hey,
0: no, <laughs> but I, I don't doubt it. Like those early videos <laughs> are proof. For it. Uh, yeah. Well, early... I
2: mean, weirdly what we were, I mean, when you're in a band, I don't know, you want to be known for your music, not for your image or whatever, unless you, it's really something that's cultivated like Kiss did or, or The Dolls or, or something, you know? But for us, it was just working-class working, working class duds, working-class dudes, you know what I mean? Um, and bikes, were, I was riding since I was a kid, since I was in Toronto. I used to go, my friend had a Rupp mini-bike over by McNichol uh, Elementary School, <laughs> And I was really using him. He wasn't really my friend. I was just really using him for his right. mini minibike. I admit to that now. Um, so I've been into that stuff since I was a kid and fast cars and stuff. When I moved out of Seneca Hill, when my parents moved out,
0: we moved uh, just right near uh, McNichol Avenue.
2: Yeah. That's a great neighborhood, man. That's like, a, you know... Canada's version of a Norman Rockwell painting, you know?
0: Not anymore. It's a big, huge strip mall. You know, um, Russia's Russia's subdivisions video, they shot right in that area in, like, 82 when it was just before it was about to be developed. Wow. And now it's just this complete strip mall plaza, just cardboard. I think everywhere.
2: all, All the good cities are being ruined, man. You know, New York City was ruined by money, like the invisible hand of money. And same with L.A. L.A.'s nothing like it was when I first got here, you know, when Hollywood Boulevard was still cool. There's punk rock kids squatting and stuff and great clubs. It's nothing like that at all now. You know, the whole world's turned into like overpriced restaurants and crappy dance clubs.
0: Very true. And that that makes me ask you, being uh, so known as a New York entity, when did you move to L.A.?
2: A quarter of a century ago? <laughs> 1991, yeah, 25 years ago. So, right
0: after Vices came out, or is that, am I?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, I don't know. It wasn't, uh, I mean, I was from Toronto, then I was in Florida, then I was in New York. I, I didn't f- feel like, you know, I belonged anywhere. I still kind of feel that way. I'm, I'm not crazy about LA. I live here, but I'm not crazy about it. I don't live in, in LA. I live in Topanga Canyon, which is this like hippie surfer enclave by Malibu at which you could pretty good much go in there and disappear for the rest of your life. If you wanted to, you know, there's hardly any cops in there and you know, it's kind of off the beaten path. It's in the woods, in the mountains kind of thing. But, um, I don't know. I was in New York recently. I still love New York, even though it's been completely changed. I still love New York a lot. And I like, I like Miami too, you know? So when,
0: um, now this is amazing how I, I got you on the podcast here with Scotty. Um, and this was like, I
2: forgot Scotty was here. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: well, it's, it's interesting to get you on the podcast. First, I, I thought it was you who was handling the Instagram for circus of power. So I reached out to you guys and it was Mm -hmm. Joe truck who I was talking to back and forth. And Uh then Scotty emails me and he says he's in the band and I've known Scotty for how many years now. So, is, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so this is amazing that that you're on in in this way. So, um,
2: yeah, my, I pretty much stay off like Facebook and all that stuff. I don't, I really don't go on that much. I, you know, yeah, I'm glad somebody knows how to do all that stuff because I'm not really that interested in all that stuff. But what made me reach out to you guys is suddenly
0: you have an online presence because. Earlier mm. this year, you released Hard Drive and Sister. Right. So that made me think is there a new Circus of Power album coming out? Or, like, what is that yeah, song? Well, offering? you know
2: what? We're, we're trying. Um, I have a whole bunch of stuff to write. Every, it's, it's difficult. It, it was easier being in the band when I was young and no one had any responsibilities. You know, everyone right. has insurance payments now. A lot of the guys have kids and jobs, and we live in LA. You don't live near anybody. I live 25 miles away from the closest guy who lives 25 miles away from the next guy. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? It's like that. Right. So, I mean, the good thing about computers and all that stuff is you can send riffs and things like that. We are writing. Yeah. And we have a cool single coming out called American monster. That's um, actually great. Actually sounds like a circus song, but like a, I don't know. It sounds fresh. It's a little bit misfits ish, like an old misfits kind of song too. So that, that is exciting, and we're coming out with that. I mean, yeah, we do want to do, do a CD, but um, it's going to be a couple of months, I think, till we start recording. we got to get everything together first and not not rush it. So was Hard
0: Drive and Sister just a, a one-off?
2: Well, it was, you know what, man? I have found a bunch of cassettes. from. I always keep cassettes. like It's a sentimental thing. Whether there's any... Like Gary and Ricky would give me cassettes. and Whether there's any good riffs on there or not, I would just keep them because I, I just liked to have them, the way they looked, the, you know, something. You keep stuff like keeping a poster from the band or whatever, you know. And um, I, there was a bunch of good stuff on there that we never developed because of, you know, just never got around to it or were just, you know, scatterbrained or whatever, or drunk or on drugs all the time. And um, then I found, started to find stuff. Some of it wasn't even labeled, so I went through like 75 cassettes and um, I found three or four of them. that were just filled with tons of great riffs by Gary and Rick, some of which I sort of remembered, and you know, like I figured out a verse to it, but never got the chorus together. Some of them I n- never heard at all. So, Hard Drive and Sister was one of those uh, riffs of Ricky's, and um, it was all pretty much done. I just had to put words to it.
0: So, so is there enough of Gary and Ricky's riffs to to do this whole album, or?
2: Yeah. But I don't necessarily want to do that. And those guys aren't—we aren't playing with those guys. Yeah. So I want to have Sharky and Joe and Scotty and everyone, you know, get participate in writing new stuff. If that happens, that's the best way to go. Like I don't want to just be an old a guy a a band that does all of the old songs. I want to do new songs and be relevant. And um, that's something I don't like about all the other bands that are out there touring off these one or two records they did in 1989 or 1990 or something. To me, it seems ridiculous. I'm not interested in going to see those bands play those old songs over and over again. Well, that's the thing is, when
0: I heard Hard Drive and Sister, it made me reach out to you guys because I thought, well, they're picking up exactly where they left off. I don't see yeah, it. Yeah,
2: it sounds like an old circus song.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds great. And of course, that's the sound, that's the arrow that all COP fans want right. to hear again, except
2: yes. they want to hear new stuff. Yeah, I don't, I'm not stupid. I'm not, we're not going to start writing jazz odysseys, you know? Yeah, but it wasn't, um, It, you know, it was It was a great song. It, it could have been yeah. off any of those three albums, so... Right, right, yeah. So, yeah, there is a bunch of those songs, and we're going to end up doing a couple of, the, of those that Rick and Gary wrote, yeah. And then, you know, cause sort of a mixture, and then some of our new stuff, too. So, uh, it, it begs me to ask... you got to ask me. Scotty a question before he fucking starts hammering me on the head here with the- a... <laughs> Fucking axe that he's got sitting beside him.
1: Hey man, you'll like American Monster Danko. It sounds like a, yeah, there's it's going to be a fight tonight. That kind of dune and
2: oh, I can't ah, wait, man. Yeah, yeah, it's got a it's got a big hook in the chorus and everything. It's a cool yeah. song.
0: Well, it's just when I heard Hard Drive and Sister, you know, I'm. It's not like I'm listening. I'll be honest. I don't listen to Circus of Power every single day of my life, but when I heard Hard Drive and Sister, your voice. wrong with you, <laughs> your voice. Uh, reminded me about how great Circus of Power was and how you haven't lost your voice, like how it's still there and it just needs to be singing what, what,
2: newer what songs. What really should surprise you is the fact that I'm still alive. Much <laughs> <laughs> less that I have a voice.
0: Well, I mean, when I was, I was like, I would watch you guys on Much Music. You guys yep. seemed like you were the hardest living, you know, I, it was easy to see that, oh, this is what, they mean when they call other bands posers because this band is fucking living it. Like I was
2: scared of you guys. Yeah. But you know what? All that stuff got in our way. All the, all the hard living and hard drinking and drugs, our band, I'll tell you the truth. The best our band ever was, was before we ever got signed. Cause we, we went to Daniel Ray's basement in New Jersey and uh, his, his mother's basement. And we did this four song demo, right? I think, Later on, the Misfits might have done uh, uh, when they got the new singer. Might have used the same place. A bunch of bands did, right. and we were hungry, and we were young and could still handle the the three day cocaine hangovers, you know. And um, we we were focused on music, and we made our own flyers, and we did all that stuff, and that was the most magical time. And then the band got signed, and immediately we just started like seeing less and less of each other. And, um, I don't know, things got in the way. after the first record was done, we practically weren't getting along and didn't hang out like we used to. and uh, personal things got in the way with each other and drugs, man, you know, I've gotta admit it. And I was as much to blame as anybody. Um, but I don't know. it's all you can, you know you can look back and say, oh, you do this and do that way, but you just it is what it is. Well, and I- it was it was off it was fun. It was good. I love those guys. And I had some of the best times in my life with those guys, and it, it did change my life. It was very exciting to get to get signed in New York City, especially at the time, man. We were we were all you know working six dollar an hour jobs, which nowadays would only be about nine dollar an hour jobs. Right. You know, um, hanging sheetrock and doing this, doing that, and it was a thrill to be wined and dined by Rick Rubin or RCA or Capital or something. Right. For us, it, I mean, I'd never been in a five-star restaurant in my life. I didn't know which, way, which side the forks went on, the little ones and the spoons and all that shit, you know. Um, and we, have you know, had fun making spectacles of ourselves and stuff in those places and all that. It, it's, it's a hard balance between doing all that stuff and staying focused and also staying a good person. So when I see a, a guy or, or a woman like a Chrissy Hind or Neil Young or someone who's not an asshole after all these years, and still write songs like they both do, and still perform, and still have their head together, and still, they're still alive, it's a testament to me to their their personality and their like their balance and everything. I, I have that balance now, but I didn't have it back then. I just didn't. you know, I wasn't mature enough to deal with all that stuff. None of us were in, in that band. We were just all a little nutty. Now, how the other bands uh, dealt with that and got away with it, I'm not sure if it's just chemistry or maturity or what, but... Um, it got to us, man. It got the best of us.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's great that you're able to look outside of yourself and, and look back and see that.
2: But, well, I've been in therapy three times a day now for uh, almost 23 years.
0: Right. Okay, so that... Kidding, Deco. Kidding. I don't know, man. I don't
2: know. But, you know,
0: <laughs> I did I did want to say that. I, I did want to tell you that, like, even though I do not have any tattoos, so you weren't able to influence me there, mainly because I'm scared to death of needles, I did get a leather vest because Gary Sunshine had it in your videos. Yeah. So you guys had some sort of effect, even though I don't have any tattoos. Not yet. <laughs> No, but I swear to God, you guys, and then knowing that you were from Toronto, because that's how much music led every piece on you guys, Uh like, I I used to watch you guys
2: with pride. Yeah. You know, there's a Toronto guy doing it. so Yeah. Hey, man, I I still love that city. I can't tell you anywhere that that I'd rather be from, you know? Um, It's still a great city, and the people up there are amazing. Yeah, well, my connection with the band was... If Trump gets re-elected for a second time, you're going to have to... Get an extra room for me up there, buddy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, like I, I just said, like, it's just that when I got into you guys, I got into you guys a little more than other bands because of the Toronto Connection that yep. I used to hear about on TV. I used to watch about and and you guys were on there a couple of times. I think I even taped a couple of the times you were on there uh, from uh, mm-hmm. my my VCR
2: but where did your bands get started? Everything in Toronto, right? Everything in
0: Toronto, yeah. Um, okay. So and then we just branched out. You guys from are
2: there. doing good, right?
0: We're doing okay. Uh, we do all right. Um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, rock lives in Europe, so mm-hmm. that's where we go. I mean, mm-hmm. all the rock bands are going there. All the rock, all the new good rock bands are from there. So what do
2: you think that is, anyways?
0: I think it's a. Uh, uh, I honestly think it's like how the Beatles took, you know, American R&B and blues music and being in the U.K. and turned it into their own thing. And I think uh, that's what, you know, bands like I mean, there's countless bands, everyone from Glucifer to Horissant.
2: I mean, yeah, but those bands aren't as good as us, man.
0: <laughs> well, man, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised once you guys.
2: But, uh, but I do agree with you. I'm just kidding. I mean, you know, you're into whatever you're into. But I do agree that it's it's a, like I was. We start off the conversation this way about like why things happen in certain places and all that, and why um, it, it at least it's good that rock and roll is happening over there. Or, you know it, that it's still happening. That's a good thing.
0: Well, once you guys finish this record, you know, and you've... you know, who I love
2: is Turbo Negro.
0: Yeah, the, they're another band we toured with. Fucking oh, love those guys. They took us out in '05. Oh wow! They're amazing. Oh Jesus! Yeah just in the height of their reunion and it was crazy it was crazy
2: the i think those guys are the best i, I think that the ass cobra record is great i'm not too crazy about their other records but ass cobra is unbelievable with midnight nambla and all that shit man yep. it's just so incredible that yeah. record
0: yeah we went on tour with their scandinavian leather album the third i believe
2: i don't uh, know that one. maybe i'd like that one i gotta check it out
0: it's not the third record but it's the one after apocalypse dudes and and then at, at, before that, okay, ask I, think
2: I like the earlier stuff. Yeah,
0: but uh, man, I, I think once you guys put out this record you're working on, and people find out that you guys have a new album, and that you can promote something, there's some some reason to tour. I think I think you'll find Europe will be opening their arms wider than maybe you guys know at this point in time. Um,
2: I think so too. For me, I'm, I'm impatient. It's one of my faults, but it's also one of my Sort of strengths because I'm driven all the time, you know. But you say you're impatient. How? What was the?
0: What was? What was happening in the? I interim? just want to
2: get in and record and make videos and, and go to Europe tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. I mean, that's what I mean by impatient. But w- what?
0: What was? What happening in the interim between uh, Magic and Madness and Hard Drive and Sister with Circus of Power? I know you were in a few other Nothing. bands.
2: Nothing. I mean, some reunions. Um, you know, I, I, I was the one that tried to put it to get back together a million times, but um, uh, we did a few reunions that were okay, but you just can't plug in your guitar and shit after not playing with each other for six years and doing two rehearsals and expect to really be a band, you know? Um, so the reunions were okay, but to tell you the truth, I've, I've had more fun playing. We did two shows here. One was at the Rainbow, and one was at this... Show in Santa Ana. What was the thing, the Serious serious uh, the Nation? Festival, yeah. Eddie those are the Ray. two most intense times I've ever had on stage, like the most fun I've ever had on stage. And way, like, felt way better with the guys I was with on stage. Nothing, not to deride the other guys from the old days, but I really, those two times I got off the stage and the audiences were really good too. And we played to a bunch of people and it was amazing. And I was like, "Wow, it's never been like that before." So I got real super high off doing those gigs, and I want to do stuff. I'm impatient, and so we're going to try and get things together. Um, but I feel I feel like the future is, yeah, it's it's there to be had for us um, if we if we put enough effort into it and you know get a little bit lucky too. Well, you got Scotty
0: Slam on drums, man. Yeah, you got, man. You got right. your secret weapon.
2: Yeah. Um, how do you guys know each other? Jesus. I- can you hear?
1: Yeah, I can hear. Um, I, I met, uh, I knew Dragan from The uh, Backyard Babies. Oh, cool. And uh, Jim Florentine was That's also right. a fan of the band. So oh, in right the on. Early days. And uh, Dragon, when they first came to America, came through and they ended up at the house here. And, right on. And uh, he was telling me, You got to check out this band, Danko Jones. Greatest singer, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. The guy is crazy. You got to watch his stage raps are great. I'm like, All right, cool. And he turned me on. And I'm like, Well, this is really cool. And then Jim Florentine. Just around the same time, you know, said the same thing. I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, I'm really, you know, down to check these guys out. And then eventually they came. Uh, I went up to Toronto.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, to that was it. Iron Maiden
1: in 2008. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim happened to be up there at the same time doing the. I get to meet Jim. Jim, a Jersey show? guy? Jersey guy. Yeah. And uh, I went to see Jim's comedy show with Artie lang and all these other people and um
2: <laughs> there's Danco a fucking crew there. right there Danko
1: was there ambo was there but i got to meet the Danko guys and then jim went and did the video for um
0: code of the that? road
1: code of the road mm-hmm. and um those guys were super cool and i said when you're in la you know we'll hook up and then when they got to la then we hooked up and then they came over here and they got to meet uh del james mm-hmm. and Dell really liked the band going into it and mm-hmm. then, uh Dell eventually got him some guns. And oh, I was just gonna States say,
2: okay, you guys do shows with Guns N' Roses. Good for so you guys. It's,
1: yeah, it's like this weird, mm-hmm. couple thousand miles connection. Wow, great. you got to play with Guns N' Roses, man. That's great. Into that, to, to, yeah, and then Guns took him to Russia.
2: And, wow, I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs>
0: yeah, we did a year of touring with Guns oh uh, in 2010. So yeah, it's a it's a crazy connection. And then there's all kinds of smaller connections like uh, uh, DJ Will and uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'm sure there's a couple more that I'm forgetting, but mm-hmm. but Scotty was like, when I first hung out with Scotty and Jim Florentine, we went to some bar and the DJ was playing like just every obscure glam rock band you could okay. find. And and Scotty knew like the whole personnel and the whole discography of every band that was playing, like really obscure bands that I, you know.
1: I'm still the champ. Remember, we we had a competition. We, we'd sit there and we'd wait for a song to come on. And then we'd have to guess the song before the other guy guessed it. And there were some of it was we did that at Club Bovine. Was that the Bovine? Yeah,
0: Bovine and some other club. Yeah.
2: So it was all glam stuff, all glam stuff.
1: No, it was like sea hags. And oh, was, OK. Uh, killer dwarves. Like, all right, you know, right, right. It's pure, yeah,
2: yeah, it's pure, yeah,
1: Yeah. but I, I, I took the championship.
0: Oh, yeah. It. You you yeah. you wiped the floor with us. So that's how I that's how I I met Scotty. And then, yeah, we just always stay in touch always, whether we're on tour or not, whether we're in L.A. or we're not. So I don't know. I was I was messaging with Joe Truck. And then out of the blue, Scotty goes, I'm in Circus of Power now. And I'm like, this is crazy because I'm messaging back and forth with Joe Truck.
2: Now (laughs) you're in
0: the band. This is turning into my favorite
2: band. (laughs) Like, this is amazing. Yeah, I like... Well, we love playing with Scotty. We just rehearsed with him once, and it was obvious that he had to be in the band. Um, Great drummer. And I like playing with Joe a lot, too. And our guy Sharky that plays bass is also just, you know... um, It's like, you know, second skin with those guys. It's just... We kind of fit together really well. And that is hard to find, man. You can't put out ads in the fucking local newspaper for shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's either... Because we know... Me and Sharky and Joe, it's all we get. To, we go to rehearsal and it's, it's all goodfellas dialogue all through, every in between every song, New York mobster, goodfellas, taxi driver. You know what I mean? We're in our <laughs> own world. No one else understands it, of course, but us. But it's pretty funny.
0: I think whenever you come around to finishing this record. I, I, I honestly believe if it's anything like Hard Drive and Sister, the rest of the record, I think you'll have no problem in picking up where you left off. I mean, it's a changed world out there. Rock isn't number one, but yeah. there's a definite. I don't the, care. You know, I just want to play. Yeah. The people um, who are into rock right now are really, really into rock music. So, yeah,
2: yeah it's a tight. Can you get us scene. a kick at the peanut there? Right. Right behind the. Uh... George Vanier College. Yeah. Well, there's a <laughs> liquor store right there. I remember going with my dad. Do they still have those liquor stores that look like a like it was like a factory. You just walked in there. Yeah, the LCBO. Yeah, and the the booze would come out of this like conveyor belt. Oh, that's the beer
0: store. It's that. Yeah. That's where they sell beer. They still have those that chain. If I, if I'm correct. But
2: so you guys don't like have 11s and murder magazines and stuff like that, there, huh? No, no, we don't. We. Oh, we, you got to get with it. I mean, you've <laughs> got to get into that decadent culture, otherwise you'll <laughs> yeah. never, you know, never be nothing.
0: Then we'll never come up with some good rock.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, this is great. I mean, I have, I have a few more questions, uh, or whatever. I mean, so. So this whole thing with Scotty, which is great, which is a great connection personally for myself, uh, that just naturally came about, like just people in the scene knowing each other. You guys had a a position that needed filling. Right at Joe's. Yeah, right. right. I
1: got a Joe. Yeah, I met Joe through Dell because Joe's a tattoo artist, famous tattoo artist. And uh, Joe – what happened is – two drummers ago there's two drummers mm. before me when joe got it goes yeah i'm in circus of power and i go oh god i love that band man the catalog is killer i love them, man i love him joe goes uh yeah well we just got a drummer and you know we're going oh, okay cool well keep me in mind man you know and then times go by and then they got another drummer and i'm like yeah we got a new drummer like oh dude you just got a hold of me i really want to play in that band It's like yeah well what we'll, well you know maybe next time you know whatever so um
2: He's a scatterbrain.
1: Yeah. So they so then they, they were talking about, you know, like personnel and, and, you know, guitar player was leaving and they were talking about switching it up a little bit. And that's where I stuck my nose in. I say, like, dude, just give me a shot. I love the tunes. I know the songs. I, you know, back in the day, I used to practice devices and those tunes. I love the grooves on those. So, uh, you know, I asked Joe and Joe said, yeah, we'll give you a shot. And then that was it. And I, you know,
2: I guess this is a good time to put out an ad for a guitar player, right? Lead guitar player. Oh, there's... which we need. Yeah.
0: OK, well, here. We... This is the best. This is I'm going to turn around this podcast by next week. It'll be up. So it'll be right. out
2: there. Send somebody down for me. All right. <laughs> well, if I if I hear of anyone we wanting to find the right guys, I mean, it... all the guys that we've had in the band have all been great people and, you know, good players. But, um, you know, you're in a band. It's hard to explain what that chemistry is and what works and what doesn't. And maybe two or three guys like like the drummer and one other guy doesn't, you know, or or, or maybe the guitar player you got, he's very good and he looks great and everything, but one guy in the band is not sure about it. And as long as someone's not sure about it, it's not good. So we're just trying to find this natural uh, progression where we, you know, we can step into getting a guitar player who writes um, songs and uh, that'll make me feel a lot better. East Coast sensibility. Yeah, yeah, that too. Would there? Would you guys
0: strip down to a four-piece again?
2: I would strip down to my jock strap if it would get us better, <laughs> bigger ratings for your podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, I got. Uh, there's so many things. No, I we can...
2: wouldn't do that. No, no. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the only, we might do like uh, we might do an uh, like a B three organ kind of solo on one or two of our songs and do it like that until we get a guitar player, because we know a guy that's a great organ player. And I told Sharky, do some Lemmy stuff to bring up that bass and until yeah. we get a guitar player, because we got to record. We might not have a guy for a few months. Who knows, you know? So, um, yeah, we're going to – no, but as a fourth piece live, no way.
0: You just got so used to the five piece.
2: Oh, I just yeah. got to have a lead guitar player. I'm a traditionalist when it comes to that, man. Why? But once yeah, you guys – I don't even like – um I don't even like – like when Led Zeppelin, we used to go out without a rhythm guitar player. I hated it when the rhythm guitar dropped out and he went in and did leads and you just had a bass behind it. It sounds retarded to me. Same with The Who. But how, I, always think, I always think you should have a rhythm guitar player.
0: But, but uh, weren't you guys a four-piece to begin with, with Gary on
2: bass? Well, yeah, but we weren't completely formed. You know what I mean? Mm, okay. Um, listen, when we got signed, dude, we only had four or five songs written. That's the truth. You know, we gave him a four song demo and we only had about five songs. Wow. Um, RCA. So we had, you're really making me remember now. Um, we had a guy playing bass and Ricky was playing guitar. So then we, Gary came in and played bass, but Gary filled in a guitar on bass, but he didn't want to play bass. He's, he's a really good guitar player. Yeah. So that forces to have two guitars. And, you know, if you're a Ricky, if you're the lead guitar player, like any lead guitar player is, you don't want anybody else coming in to your space. Right. And you know how awful those lead guitar player guys are. <laughs> and um, you know that's a that's a um, that's an alpha wolf thing right there. But both those guys work pretty well together. And if you're if you're hip enough to do that, if you're in Thin Lizzy and you can get both those guitars going, man, right. there's no sound like it. It's fucking amazing. Right. Right. I mean, uh, the guys in Skinner did it. I I, I think Leonard Skinner's is a hugely underrated band. That was they're like the American Rolling Stones. They're just amazing. Great Absolutely. songs. Amazing players. Every everybody in that band was great, you know. Absolutely. They got three guitars cranking really, really good. No, no. I mean
0: for sure. The three the triple guitar attack is 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 amazing and you don't hear about it too much. There's a few bands who have
2: the three X attack, I believe.
0: Three right. There's a there's a couple of bands who have three guitars in them, but that's that's about it yeah um I, I wanted to ask you about uh something that I, I guess you don't get to talk much about, but it's uh your my sex life you're writing no you <laughs> oh. uh just the you, you have a couple of books out right
2: yeah, but you're writing
0: two more right now you can't find them very
2: easily anymore no I, I I don't put them out i just i sell i i disguise myself as a preacher and sell them downtown on the on the street corners on weekends. Um, which hasn't been working out too well. I wouldn't doubt it. Believe me or not on some of these things. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, you can find them. um, There's my best book is called the strange cases of flying meatballs. Right. Actually. It's actually a good book. And that's the one Don Jameson reviewed on that metal show. And that one you can get on Lulu.com. It's a place where you self publish your books. Um, Lulu, like the singer to serve with love. You with me? Yeah, but
0: when I went looking for it on Lulu, I couldn't find yeah.
2: it. Oh, okay. I'll I, go in and check all that stuff out, dude. I, I, I'm so bad with all that stuff. I need a personal assistant, you know, that could like show me how to turn on my t- my phone and stuff like that. I mean, I'll
0: I'll I'll try and look at. Uh, I didn't I didn't really look too deep, but I tried and I couldn't find it. I mean, I could look deeper, but
2: I wouldn't. I think I, you could get it on there. So yeah, don't discourage people from looking. Yeah, and and I have a new one coming out next week. Um called The Man in the Little Glass Bottle. Whoa. And and so and I'm writing a sequel to that. So yeah, I'm into writing, man. Um, I wrote a couple before, then I gotta sort of re I gotta put out everything on, on uh Lulu again and get it all organized. Yes. So, so are these self, self-published? Yeah. That's the yeah, way until, to go. So Harper and Collins starts knocking on my <laughs> trailer door, yes. <laughs> um, I mean the good thing about the way I look at all this like the digital age when it comes to self-publishing your books or uh, making your own records and putting them out is that it's a, sort of like um, a two-faced thing. It means anybody can do it, and that's great. And then it means anybody can do it, and that's bad. Right. You know, because you have to rifle through fucking armies of shit in order to get find something good yeah. in a record store or online or, you know, looking for, for things to read, too. Anyone could put out a book. That means any any housewife in Burbank could put out her book on how her kids love her, her, her quiche Lorraine. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And people yeah. do that. Believe me. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, it's good I can put that stuff out. To tell you the truth, I'd rather be I'd rather be with a publishing company. And as far as making records, I'd rather be with a record company. I like the process of having somebody bust your balls when it comes to having a producer for a record an a guy for a record, you need someone to come and tell you you have six good songs there and you have four average songs and two of them kind of stink. And I gave them to all my interns so it's not just my opinion, that's everybody's opinion. And then you can go, okay, great. Rather than if your bass player said it to you, you'd go home and go, what an asshole to think he, for him to say that those songs aren't good. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like you need a coach. You need someone to do all that stuff for you. And then at, the, at a um, publishing company, you have an editor who will come in there and tell you your book is genius or it's great, the next great American novel if you really put three months of extra work into it or it's not good at all. I don't want to put it out. And as an artist, you need to hear the, the, the pure, cold, fucking hard facts, dude. And if you haven't got the backbone, you haven't got it. you know. But Yeah. Yeah, I would love to be with a, with a publishing company and, and a record company, too. Yeah. Oh, uh,
0: one more thing I wanted to ask you. What is the state of plastic gator machine?
2: Oh, that was just a one-off from years ago. Okay. That's what I found out. You could, you know, put out your own CDs and that kind of stuff. So I just got together with a bunch of guys. There's a couple of good songs on there. Yeah. There's like one or, like one or two good songs on all the things I've done in the past 20 years, you know? But nothing had the magic in the kind of um, the thing that Cir- Circus of Power had. And you don't know that until you leave the band and, you know... You can take almost, you can take Mick Jagger, dude, out of the stones, and a couple of thousand people are gonna go see him. And that's it. That's the truth. And he's tried to do it before. Yeah. And same with Keith Richards, but you put those two guys together and a hundred thousand people will go bananas for them until the day they die. And that's just the nature of, of being in a band, you know?
0: This is true. That's so true. Well, I'm just glad that Circus of Power are back. And alive in 2016 and we are all awaiting the new record. I can't believe this a new circus and I'm opponent. waiting
2: for you for your band and our band to play in Toronto together
0: oh or in Europe or in Europe or both or both I mean that would be amazing I yeah man I would love it I this has been a, a thrill to talk to you and of course to have Scotty Slam finally on the podcast and not just a name that I drop in the intro. Uh, yeah. Scotty, uh, thanks for being on the podcast too, man.
1: No problem, man. I'd love to drop in on one of your kiss discussions. Oh, yeah,
2: shit! You could, you could use him as like an Ed McMahon. You feel <laughs> free to do that. If you want to, I'll <laughs> lease him out to you. This is great.
0: Alex. I swear to God, man. I've always thought you as a Toronto guy, my whole life.
2: Well, you can still think of me that way. I will. I refuse to yeah. think of you as a, uh, an LA guy. My happiest days of my life, like before, you know, the whole sex and confused teenage angst thing started. Where, like, when I was 11, 12 years old in Toronto, riding my orange chopper, mini, um, not my mini, bike, my bicycle, to um, Fairview Mall for ice cream. And then down to um, uh, Cummer Ravine. Cummer Ravine's still <laughs> there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when my first little sexual exploit, uh, exploits would take place. You know, like feeling up some sixth grade girl under the trestles. Are the trestles still there?
0: I don't know. That I don't
2: know. The trestles were these gigantic, you know, the, the train went over the, the ravine there. So you had this gigantic, you know, drop. And they were all on these big wooden stilts, the, the trestles. It was fucking great, man.
0: Well, I do, I did take the Comer 42A bus for like 10 years of my life, past wow. McNichol. So I do know that route.
2: Yeah, I got to get up there again, man. I want to see Toronto again.
0: <laughs> oh, you you might get disappointed,
2: but come no, for me i like going back to all places new york's completely changed but i like going back there too
1: we'll make it man if we get on tour and we're moving around the states we'll drop from yeah the we'll get out there and play we'll get there
0: oh that would be amazing but this has been great man I, I can't tell you how much this has been great i never knew that i would have a conversation about fairview mall with you
2: <laughs> good good talking to you man all right thanks alex thanks
0: scotty Cheers. thank you man